16. That helps me. That gives me the green light right there. Are you ready to learn tonight? Amen. Amen. I believe you're going to get some help tonight. Luke 17, when you find your places, if you're able to stand, let's stand tonight out of respect for the reading of God's Word. And uh, I want to talk to you once again tonight on the subject of the second coming of Christ. Now, you know, somebody says, Preacher, how can these, uh, how can these uh, truths that we've taught on, you know, uh, repeatedly in the past, you know, how can, they be, how can they be fresh? But you know what? They are fresh. And I really believe that what we're going to learn tonight, I believe it's going to be completely fresh to you. And I, it's been fresh to me. Um, and I've studied this out and, and I've, I've preached on it and taught on some of these things before. But I believe we're going to present it in a, in a, a, a fresh way tonight. And so we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, I will never, I'll tell you something I'll never do at Calvary. I'll never get up in the pulpit and set a time that the Lord is coming, okay? And if I do, vote me out, okay? Just go ahead and assemble. Go ahead and get a pulpit committee together and just go ahead and vote me out. You say, preacher, yeah, vote me out, all right? Because our Bible says no man knows the day and no man knows the hour. But I do believe this beyond a shadow of any doubt. I believe that he is coming sooner than later. So after we get through the message tonight, you see what you think. And so we're not setting any dates. We're not setting any times tonight because I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. And for that matter, no preacher knows. But I do believe we're close. And I believe that as we, we study the Bible tonight, I believe that we're going to see that. And so let's look at Luke 17 and verse number 20. The Bible says, and when he was demanded, and that's interesting wordage too, and when he was demanded, like you can demand you know, Jesus to do anything, when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him, not likewise, let him likewise not return back. In other words, when the Lord comes again, there won't be any need to go back and try to get stuff out of your house. That's what he's saying. And then he says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I'll tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Look at verse 35. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two, women, two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. You know what that tells us? On one part of the earth, there's daylight. On another part of the earth, there's darkness. 
And so some are working while some are sleeping. And yet all of those are going to be affected. Verse 37, and they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? And he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Let's talk about the second coming of Christ tonight just a little bit more. So you may be seated, and we're going we're gonna to take a moment. We're going to review what we learned last week, but then we're going to get into some brand new material tonight, and I hope it'll be a, I hope it'll be a help to you. Let's go to the Lord quickly and ask the Lord to help us, and, uh, and I, I'll, I'll do my best to keep my eye on the clock tonight, not get you out here too late this evening. Father, we thank you for your blessings, and Lord, thank you for the great music tonight. Thank you for the testimonies Lord, thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And Heavenly Father, the best that we know how, we plead the blood of Jesus over the service now. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you might bind the powers of darkness. And God, I pray that you'd keep them out of this place. And I pray you'd keep them away from this place. And I pray that you'd keep them away from this people. And I pray you'd keep them away from this preacher. And uh, Lord, we know that we're helpless without you. God, we, we need you so bad tonight. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would knit our hearts together now, and I pray that, Spirit of God, that you would help us. Lord, we, we, we acknowledge we can't understand this book without you, and Lord, it doesn't matter how good a preacher we have. Uh, Lord, the, the best, uh, the, the prince of preachers, Lord, without, the, without the, the partnership of the Holy Spirit, God, we're not going to understand this book. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would help us, and I pray, Holy Ghost, that you would teach us tonight, and I pray that you'd clear the way that we might learn your word. Be with us now, Lord. We pray. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray, and for his sake, amen. Let me take just a moment and review, if I could. We said this uh, a week ago. We said the second coming of Jesus Christ will occur in two stages. The first stage, of course, is the rapture of the church. The second stage, just to make sure that we don't get confused on what I'm talking about, is what we're going to call the second advent or the uh, physical return of Christ. We said that these two events are, are intertwined, but they're very, very different in nature. We said that uh, in the rapture, Christians are caught up to be with the Lord in the air. In the second coming, the Lord comes down to the earth. In fact, we learned last week that in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah tells us that the Lord will actually come down and plant his feet physically on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives will cleave hither and thither. And so in the, in the rapture, we're going up. In the second coming, the Lord is coming down. That's an easy way to discern the two. In the rapture, in the rapture, Christ is coming for his saints. In the second coming or the second advent, Christ is coming with his saints. And so in the rapture of the church, we're going up. We're going to be with him. Uh, and we're going to go be with our Savior. But in the second advent, we're coming with our Savior. And so again, an easy way to discern the two events there. Uh, and we said this, in order for the rapture to occur, not one thing needs to be fulfilled. Now that's important for us to understand. And there's a lot of people that are... Uh, a little confused about that. In fact, you might even read Luke 17 and you say, see there, preacher, there's a lot of things gonna happen before the rapture takes place. No, that's not talking about the rapture and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, we said last week, the rapture is what we call imminent. It is overhanging. It can happen at any moment. 
Uh, but prior to the second coming of Christ or the second advent, there are some noticeable things that must occur. Now, um, again, I'm not going to take the time to, to labor uh, on these, but these are the ones that we gave you last week. We said number one, and by the way, these are just a few. There are other things going to happen as well, but these are a few noticeable things. Number one, there will be the appearance of two witnesses. And we were having this conversation out in the atrium tonight. You know, the Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And the Lord always does things right. He always does. And so the Lord is not going to send one witness. He's going to send two witnesses uh, to preach against the world at that time. Not only that, but we learned this. We learned that uh, that there will be the acceptance of a new world order. Revelation 13, 15 through 18 talks about there's going to be a mark that's given and no man will be able to buy or sell without that mark. It's going to be a new world order. Uh, we talked about that just a little bit. Then also we said there's going to be the assembly of a new temple in Jerusalem. And we know that because the Bible talks about the abomination of desolation. And the Antichrist is eventually going to set himself up in the temple as God, to be worshipped as God. And because of that, people are going to know uh, and they're going to, uh, they're going to desert uh, Israel or desert Jerusalem, if you will, desert the temple because of the abomination of desolation. Then we said there's going to be the activation of 144,000 Jewish evangelists or Jewish soul winners. And we find that in Revelation 7, uh, 4, Revelation 7, verse 9, and on and on and on. But let's get into some brand new material tonight. You say, all right, preacher, I got all that before the second coming or the second advent. There's some things that are going to have to happen. But this is the question that I want to ask tonight. What is the second coming of Christ or the second advent, what is it actually going to be like? When Jesus comes at the conclusion of the tribulation period, seven years of tribulation, and he begins to set up, begins setting up his kingdom on the earth, what is that second advent going to be like? What's it going to be like? And so that's what I want to talk to you about just a little bit tonight. In fact, I want to give you three things quickly tonight, three things uh, on how the second coming of Christ, or again, the second advent, the physical return of Jesus, what it's actually going to be like tonight. How about this? Number one, we notice that his physical return will be very public. His physical return will be very public. Now you say, preacher, why, why are you telling us that? Because that's going to be very, very different than the rapture. In fact, it's going to be what I believe is going to be the exact opposite of the rapture. Now, we talked about the rapture a number of weeks ago, and we said this, that the rapture is going to be somewhat secretive. It's going to be suddenly. It's going to be silently, at least for the lost. It's going to be silent. For those of, you, uh, uh, for those of us that are born again, there's going to be a trumpet sound. There's going to be a shout that's going to occur, and I believe that we're going to hear that, but I don't believe the world's going to hear that necessarily. And so the rapture is going to be secretly, suddenly, it's going to happen in the moment, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, and uh, it's going to be in the splitting of an atom, and uh, we're, we're going to be caught away. Uh, but, but the physical return of Jesus is going to be very, very public. Now think with me tonight. The first time Jesus came to this world, he came very quietly, he came very humbly, and he came very meekly. In fact, did you know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born into poverty? He was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. In fact, he was not born with a spoon at all in his mouth. He was born, we, we talk about him being born in a stable. To be quite honest with you, church, he was probably born in a cave. I mean, probably. 
And back in that day and time, shepherds typically would, would shelter their, their sheep uh, in a cave, not really even in a barn, just a cave. And probably the Son of God was born in a shepherd's cave or at the very least in a little shanty uh, of a barn where they would come in at night. But I just said that to say this, the Lord Jesus Christ, the first time he came, came with no pomp and he came with no circumstance. In fact, let me show that to you if you could. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah tonight, the prophet Isaiah, and look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number two. Now, Isaiah the prophet had a lot to say about the coming of the Lord and uh, his first coming, and look what he says in Isaiah 53 and verse number two. Interesting. Uh, Isaiah says about the Lord, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Look what he says about the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, verse 2. He, Jesus, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, there was necessarily going to be anything that really stood out about the Lord. If you would have saw Jesus, you would have looked at him and said, wow, that's the Son of God. Not necessarily. Sometimes artists will, they'll paint, you know, what they believe is a rendition of the Lord and they'll have a halo, you know, over his head. That is not what the Lord looked like. We know that the Bible says that he had no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Look at verse three. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Skip down to verse number seven, Isaiah 53 and verse number seven. The Bible says about our Lord, about our king, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he openeth not his mouth and I'm just trying to make a point the first time that Jesus came he came very meekly came very humbly he came very quietly in fact one of the things that we read about in Matthew chapter 21 is this that when Jesus Christ made his entry into Jerusalem he made his entry on a donkey on a donkey Matthew 21 5 tells us that behold thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. But when Jesus Christ comes the second time, when Jesus Christ comes in the second advent, it's going to be a very public event. In fact, if you turn away from Luke 17, I want you to turn back over there with me, if you will, and just hold your place there because we're going to look at several things tonight. But look, if you will, at Luke 17 and verse number 24. Interesting word here. Luke 17, verse 24. The Bible says about his second advent, verse 24, for as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. Now, you know what our Bible's telling us there? Lightning is everything but subtle. Man, have you ever been out one night traveling and a terrible storm, a lightning storm was coming up? And I mean, it was doing some streak lightning. You know, when it, really does some, when it really does some major lightning, you don't have any problem seeing it. It literally lights up the sky. In fact, I thought this was interesting. The experts tell us that the sound of thunder seldom carries more than 15 miles. But lightning, on the other hand, can be seen from almost 200 miles away. And so the Lord's telling us something here. When I come the second time, it's going to be public. When I come the second time, you won't cover it up. 
When I come the second time, it's going to be very public and it's going to be very, very visible. And don't forget what we learned weeks ago. In Jewish culture, after the wedding of the Hebrew bridegroom to his bride, he would have returned to her house with a public cry, declaring his place as a married man. His marriage became public knowledge. Now, I do believe this. I believe that there are going to be many that are going to be saved in the tribulation period. But, but, but I want to tell you something. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, his physical return to the earth, he is not coming as a humble shepherd. Neither is he coming as an anticipated savior. When Jesus Christ comes the second time, he is coming as a judge. A judge of all mankind. Now, don't forget what I said just a moment ago. When the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time, he came humbly, he came meekly, he came somewhat quietly. When he made his uh, entrance into Jerusalem, he went riding on a donkey. Now, you say, preacher, is that a big deal? Really is a big deal. Back in Bible days, when a king, a foreign king would enter a city, if he came on a donkey, riding on the back of a donkey, that was a symbol of something. It was a symbol that this new king is coming in peace. And so when Jesus Christ rode in on a donkey, that was on purpose. And Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem and the, and the, the, the symbol was this, I'm coming to bring peace. I'm coming as a savior. I'm coming as somebody that, that, that can give you a peace that passeth all understanding. But I got news for you. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes the second time, he's not coming riding on a donkey. You see, when that foreign king would come into a new city and he came riding in on a stallion or a steed, you know what people knew? That was a sign. This king's not coming in peace. This king's coming to take us over. He's coming to take us over now. Listen to this scripture. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this scripture. In Revelation 19, 11, John said, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You know, there's something this world needs to understand, that the first time Jesus Christ came, he came as a Savior. The first time Jesus, Jesus Christ came, he came. He told us that. He came to seek and to save sinners. But I want, to, I want you to know something. When Jesus Christ comes the second time, he's not coming as a savior. He's not coming bearing peace. He's coming bearing a sword. In fact, our Bible says he's gonna rule and he's gonna reign with a rod of iron. And so his coming, his physical return will be very public, very public. But there's something else. Look at this. His physical return will be during a very perverse time. So somebody says, preacher, when is the Lord going to come? That second time. Well, I can, I, I can tell you this. Can't tell you the date. Can't tell you the time. But I can tell you this. According to the word of God, it's going to be a very perverse time in this world. Look, if you will, Luke 17. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, but first must he suffer many things. Well, he did that. And be rejected of this generation. That's past. Look what he says. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now watch closely, Calvary. The Bible says they did eat, they drank, they married wives, 
They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And I want to ask you a question. Uh, is there anything inherently wrong with eating or drinking? I'm not talking about drinking Jack Daniels either. I'm talking about drinking water or Diet Coke or something like that. Is there anything inherently wrong with marriage or buying or selling or planning or building? I ask you a question. What's sinful about what's sinful about eating? I mean, I, I most of you, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but most of us ate today. I went home this afternoon for a little bit. I ate something, and uh, you probably ate something. What is, is somebody says that's sinful? Not necessarily, as long as you don't eat too much, it's not sinful. As long as you administer some self control. Well, you say, preacher, what's wrong with, uh, uh, you know, what's wrong with marriage? I mean, we got some marriages that are coming up in the church here in the next little bit. And what's wrong with building? I mean, we just built this building, you know, a few years ago. And, and I mean, uh, is, is, is building something, is, is, is that sinful? That's not what the Bible's teaching. The world is not perverse because they're eating and drinking and marrying and buying and selling and planning and building. Here's what our Bible's teaching. The world is perverse because those things, there's coming a time when those things will all will be all the world is interested in. It will be the driving force. It'll be that thing that consumes them. When the Lord comes the second time, eating and drinking and marriage and buying and selling and planning and building will become the priority of the world. Hey, church, I got news for you. We're there. I'm not setting any dates. But I will tell you this. What we're studying tonight is seven years after the rapture. This is seven years after the rapture of the church. And yet, if you read this, it sounds like, listen, it sounds like we're there right now. I'm talking about a time when, when people are literally consumed. They are literally consumed with the almighty dollar. It's why, it's why right now in America, drugs are an absolute epidemic. In fact, listen to this. Did you know that in 2019, fentanyl, fentanyl moved into the, into the place of the leading, the leading cause of death among ages 18 to 45? Fentanyl is the leading cause of death. Overdoses involving fentanyl were behind one in five deaths of people ages 15 to 24 in the state of California. And yet, you know what's going on? Drugs are just, drugs are just pouring into this nation like a river, like Niagara Falls. I mean, drugs are just pouring in faster than we can, faster than we can keep them out. You say, preacher, why is that? Because money's a priority. It's why you could go to some countries tonight where drug cartels are literally in charge. They bought the government. They run the government. They run the economy. I'm a church. I'm telling you, it's happening right now. You say, preacher, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Money is everything to people. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, it's why they're legalizing a, a marijuana in America. Come on now. It's why they're legalizing legalizing pot in America. 
I'll give you two reasons they're legalizing pot in America. Number one, the officials are smoking it. And just in case any of them are, are, are watching tonight, it's showing. We've got people in Washington, D.C. that act like their brain did and are trying to push insanity on you and me and tell us that things are normal and natural when you know full well, and by the way, they do too, it's not normal and natural. It's not normal for a guy to put on lipstick. It's not normal for a, uh, for a man to go in a woman's restroom. It's not normal for you to tell your four-year-old that they need to have a sex change. There's nothing normal about that. And yet we have people in, in America, people in Washington, D.C. trying to tell us that, you know what, you, you, you got to get with it, man. you got to go along with all this. I'm telling you, I don't have to go along with it. And by the grace of God, I'll never go along with it. Now, uh, listen, they, they're legalizing it because they're smoking it. But they're legalizing it because they're making money off of it. That's exactly right. Listen, you know why? Because money is a priority. Let me tell you something that's really sad. Did you know that right now in America, the U.S. Department of State estimates, listen to this, that 14,500 to 17,500 people are trafficked in the United States every single year. I'm talking about people, I'm talking about little kids that are sold into, into slavery. You say, preacher, the days of slavery are, are done. No, they're not either. Now, actually, it's about 24 million in the world every year. Listen to this article. Yes, see, I know, preacher, it's bad. It's, it's really bad in Los Angeles. Listen to this article. I read this yesterday. An alarming epidemic plagues East Tennessee. But few fully understand the gravity or magnitude of the situation. In the simplest of terms, children, some as young as three years old, have been sold for sex by their own parents and family members. Adults, many with children of their own, have also fallen victim to human trafficking. I'm talking about mamas and daddies that are selling. Come on now, church that are selling their own kids. You say, preacher, why is that? I'll tell you why, the almighty dollar. People are consumed with money. They're consumed with, uh, with wealth. They're consumed with pleasure. They're consumed with buying and selling and marriage and being given in marriage and eating and drinking. And I mean, I mean, they're literally consumed. They're just consumed with it. And the Bible tells us this, that brother, listen, you better lift up your heads and you better get ready and you better make sure you're saved because when you begin to see that kind of perverseness come in our nation, look up because Jesus is about to come. He's about to come. Perverseness. Perverseness. But last of all, let me give you this. Not only his physical return will be very public, and his physical return will be during a perverse time, but look at this. His physical return will provide a final end. Now, Battle of Armageddon, we read about that. Maybe we'll teach on that. We haven't taught on that yet. Maybe we'll teach on the Battle of Armageddon. But... But I want you to hear me out. Many will die in the battle of Armageddon. There's no doubt about that. In fact, the Bible says the blood will 
the, the blood. And, and my wife and I had the opportunity to visit uh, Megiddo. And you folks that are going with us to Israel in, in uh, December, Lord willing, you'll get to visit that valley where that great battle is going to take place. And the Bible says there'll be so much blood that it'll, it'll go up to the horse's bridle. But you understand that those that are not killed during Armageddon are going to be gathered up for final judgment. Now look in your Bibles again, and we're, we're done. Look at, look at Luke 17 and verse 31. Because sometimes people get this a little mixed up. Verse 31, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house. Boy, a lot of folks are living for stuff. And his stuff in the house, Jesus said, let him not come down to take it away. You've been consumed with that stuff all these years. Don't even worry about going trying to get your stuff because your stuff ain't going to do you any good. That's what he's saying. Let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. That field's done for. Remember Lot's wife, verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? And he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles or the buzzards Thither will the eagles be gathered together. So there's going to be two in the bed. One's going to be taken. One's going to be left. Two in the field. One's going to be taken. One's going to be left. You say, yeah, preach of the rapture. This is not the rapture. This is not talking about the rapture. You say, well, then who are these that are going to be gathered up? And the answer to that is this. Those that have rejected Jesus are going to be gathered up so as not to enter the millennial reign of Christ. Hey, church, at this point, when Jesus comes back, plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, I'm telling you, business is getting ready to pick up. And Jesus, listen to me now, Jesus has come to stay. <laughs> he's, come, he's come to take back what is his. And he's gonna begin to set up his kingdom on this earth and we'll rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand glorious years and and the curse is going to be lifted and the lamb will lay down with the lion. And, and uh, I'm telling you what, it's going to be a thousand wonderful, wonderful years. But all those folks during the tribulation period that rejected Jesus, rejected Jesus, rejected Jesus, those folks will be gathered up and they'll be taken away for judgment. And I just thought this was interesting. And we were having this conversation the other night, brother. But I, I, I believe this. Their souls are going to be claimed, not necessarily their bodies. Again, think about it. This is why there's going to be carry-on everywhere. Look what he says in verse 37 again. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles or the buzzards, thither will the eagles or the vultures be gathered together. I'm not so sure when Jesus whisk these people that have rejected Jesus all these years. I'm not so sure their bodies are going. It could be their bodies are going to stay. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? 
Are you ready for that first resurrection? That ought to be your question. You say, I'm gonna, well, well, you know what, preacher? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait it out. <laughs> Friend, don't wait it out because when he comes the second time, he's not coming as a savior. He's coming as a judge. Somebody said it like this. What would he say? If he should come today and find my hands so full of future plans, however fair, in which my Savior has no share, what would he say? If he should come today and find my love so cold, my faith so weak and dim, I had not even looked for him, what would he say? If he should come today and find that I had not told one soul about my heavenly friend, whose blessings all my way attend, what would he say? If he should come today, would I be glad, quite glad, remembering that he died for all and none through me had heard his call? What would he say? What would he say? I, I know we've got some history. We've got some history buffs in here tonight. And uh, most, well, there, there are, there's a few of you here tonight. You're old enough to remember John F. Kennedy, 1960. And John F. Kennedy was running for president of the United States. He had not been elected yet, but he was running for president of the United States. And he was making a speech. And in that speech, he quoted a man by the name of Colonel Abraham Davenport. And you say, well, preacher, what was significant about Colonel Abraham Davenport? Listen to this. It was May the 19th, 1780. And it was a day that went down in history. For some reason, on May the 19th, that day was unnaturally dark. It was like the day would not come. They said this, the history books, this is what they tell us. Candles were lighted in many houses. The birds were silent and disappeared that day. And the fowls retired to roost. They said this, that there was a very general opinion on May the 19th that prevailed that day, that judgment was at hand. Listen to this. The House of Representatives was so distracted by this phenomenon that they were unable to transact their business, and so the House of Representatives adjourned because of the darkness. Then a proposal came to adjourn the Senate. They came to Colonel Abraham Davenport and said, what is your opinion, sir? And this is what he said, and it went down in history, and this is what John F. Kennedy quoted. He said, I am against an adjournment. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it's not, there's no cause for an adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. Hey, church, I don't know when he's coming. But I do know this. Until he comes, I want to be found doing my duty. Man, oh man, I don't want the Lord to come and find me on the sidelines. I don't want the Lord to come. and You know, I don't know when the Lord is coming, but I'm going to tell you what, Sunday would be a good day for the Lord to come. And boy, it would be a shame, wouldn't it, for Jesus to come and, and millions of Christians be at the ball game or the park or out bass fishing or hitting a little golf ball around a golf course somewhere. And Jesus come. I'm telling you, friend, when Jesus comes again, I want to be found doing my duty. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect Christian. Y'all know that. But I just want to be faithful. And if you're here tonight, and, and you know what? Miss Rhonda's right or Miss Rebecca's right. 
You know, there's been a lot of preaching here lately about, man, just carry on, carry on. Don't quit, don't quit, carry on. And, uh, boy, that's a good word for Calvary Baptist Church. Just carry on. Because I believe this. I believe that at any moment, Jesus is about to come. And let's be found faithful. Amen. Let's be found faithful. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together tonight. Lord, you're coming. I don't know when you're coming, but I know that first stage is the rapture. And God, I'm looking for the rapture. And Lord, we believe this. We believe the rapture of the church is imminent. We believe it's coming at any moment. Could be tonight. Could be before we get in bed. God, it could be before we get home. Could be before we get out of this building tonight. The rapture of the church is imminent. It's coming. But Lord, that second advent is also a very real thing. Jesus is coming to earth again. God, when he does, he's coming to rule and he's coming to reign as a judge. God, I pray that you'd help us to be ready. And Lord, Miss Carol said it right tonight. Many of us, including myself, have loved ones and family members that are lost. They've never come to the Lord. And Heavenly Father, for the first stage happened tonight and the rapture takes place, that means our loved ones are gonna be left behind. God left behind to face seven years of tribulation, seven years of the Antichrist. God, they're gonna be left behind to face this second advent when Jesus returns. Oh God, I pray tonight you'd help me to be a better soul winner. And Lord, you know recently I've been praying that prayer personally. God, help me to be a better soul winner. God, forgive me for my lack of soul winning. God, help us to have a burden for souls. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help this church to be an evangelistic church. And God, help us to do our best to invite everybody here. Lord, it doesn't matter what they look like. doesn't matter where they come from. doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. God, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks they grew up on. God, it doesn't matter what their background is. God, help us to be inviting everybody we can to get them here under the sound of the gospel. Why? Because we know that the coming of the Lord is real. It's coming. God, help us to be soul winners tonight. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Why don't we stand all over the house tonight, if you will? Hey, listen. Is there somebody that you know that's lost and on their way to a devil's hell. And if the rapture of the church took place tonight, you know they'd be left behind, left behind to face everything we've talked about tonight. Oh, listen, would you at least do this tonight? Would you pray something like this? Holy Spirit, help me to be a better soul winner. Spirit of God, give me an opportunity to witness to my kids, my grandkids. God, help me to get my family into church. Help me to get them under the sound of the gospel. Lord, I don't want my loved ones to be left behind. Some of you have a mom and a dad. They're lost. You love them. You love them with all your heart, but they're lost. And if something doesn't happen, your mom and dad are going to be left behind. Some of you have kids, grandkids, and you love them like your own life. But if the rapture took place tonight, they'd be left behind. Some of you work with people at work every single day and, and they're good people and you, you enjoy talking to them. But sometimes when you start talking about church, they shut down and they don't want to hear anything about it. 
hey, would you start doing this? Would you start praying for them that God would open their understanding and burden them and give you an opportunity to talk to them about the Lord? We're going to pause just for a few moments tonight. And if you're here this evening and the Lord is speaking to your heart right now and you need to come, listen, the altars are going to be open. Maybe tonight you just tiptoe down and mention these loved ones to the Lord. Or if you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Boy, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to be left behind. I want to get saved. Hey, listen, I'd run down this aisle. I wouldn't wait. Man, don't wait. Just come. Don't wait for somebody to come with you. Just come. And listen, we'll meet you here in the altar and take a Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. So, Father, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. God, use these messages on prophecy. God, to burden our hearts for this lost and, un, uh, Lord, this lost and dying world. Lord, this world that's in desperate, desperate need of a Savior. And God, some of them are nice people. God, some of them are good people. We work beside them. We live beside them. God, sometimes we go eat with them. But they're lost. And God, if the rapture took place tonight, they'd be left behind. Oh, God, give us a burden. God, give us a burden. Help us to put gospel tracts in our pocket. And God, to start giving out gospel tracts. Help us to do our best to invite our loved ones to church. Lord, tonight, do great things. Father, I pray you'd have your way. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We're going to pause just for a moment, just for a moment. If there's others that need to, need to make their way down and just, just come tonight, we're not going to prolong the invitation. But right before we go, is there somebody you need to mention to the Lord? Oh, God, help them not to be left behind.